0: Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. My name is Amber Larkins, published photographer, storytelling expert, visual artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. This podcast was born from one question. How do I get inspiring stories of triumph out to the people who need to hear them the most? Come with me. Enter my world where lives are getting changed, heroes are getting developed, and greatness is being achieved. Hello and welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. I am Amber Larkins, your host, and today I have with me a very special guest, as they all are. But this one really sits well with me because he works with youth and people that work with youth. So he's doing a lot of amazing things in the community as a whole, not just his community, but overall. And uh, I'm really excited to get into the conversation with him. He teaches from a live above the hype life skills curriculum, which I'm assuming he developed. Um, So will you welcome Mr. K-Ron Valentine. Uh, So nice for you to be here. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to our interview for a while. First of all, is there anything else with your bio that you want to share with us as far as what you do?
1: I mean, I do a lot. That's not really my thing to really say, you know, but um, I will share a little bit about my work. So I do work with youth. Um, I've done that for couple decades now you know the gray hair can show um, <laughs> i also work with adults like professionals who work with youth so just to kind of get some context with that i work with youthful for years like i just shared incarcerated youth um you know, teacher as well all these things and i had a very and we'll talk more about it but i i used to have a very good rapport with these young people regardless of how challenging it was like how challenging the young people were I, I tended to have a good rapport with them and I saw that a lot of other people may wanted to impact the young people, but they didn't quite have the, the technique or the insight. So I started developing trainings to do trainings and work with professionals who work with young people. So just to get some context with that, I'm also an author. I have a book called beyond the crack generation, surviving the trauma organized culture that's doing well. That's being taught on the collegiate level. Um, have an online course, Liver Butter Hype Success Academy. And then I have the Liver Butter Hype um life skills curriculum. So in a nutshell, that's what I do.
0: That's awesome. That's that is a lot. And uh so much needed, I feel like, because our youth is our future. And um a lot of times if we're not pouring into them, then where does that leave? leave the world, the world that our kids are going to grow up in, our, you know, when we leave the legacy that we leave. So I think what you're doing is amazing. And uh, I'm excited to, to get into that. And, you know, I want to hear more about you as a person and kind of what pushed you into this line of work.
1: Where would you want me to start? Where do you want me to start?
0: <laughs> do you, uh, so you have a story. Everyone has a story. Um okay share with me kind of what, what your purpose, what, what has moved you to, to really get into this? Because I think to do this line of work, you have to have some type of internal push, whether that be purpose or mission, you're driven in some way, shape or form to do this, because this is not an easy line of work. You're pouring into someone who doesn't really pour back into you. Talk to me a little bit about kind of what what your mission is for driving this, this okay, purpose. No, that,
1: that's perfect. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you a, um, a timeline. So pretty much everything I've done and everything I do has been very organic. So um, when I was a young man, you know, a youth, so to speak, I was very disengaged. You know, you can use your imagination. I was, you know, I was, I was not the uh, straight and narrow young man. You know, I was, I was very disengaged, but, but thankfully I was intelligent just like a lot of our young people are. They may be disengaged. They may not be motivated, but a lot of them are very intelligent. They just don't quite know how to channel it. So with all that being said, um, I had the opportunity and was able to go to college. And when I went to college, it put me in a whole nother world, like a world that I was not exposed to. And long story short, in that, in that time frame, I started to evolve and start to get certain consciousness. And I said, I got to take this back to my community. Right, and I said, I'm gonna be a teacher because I've never had a black male teacher in my whole public school experience. So I'm like, I'm gonna be a teacher. So I went back and I became a teacher, and like I was sharing a little earlier, I had great rapport with these young people. These young people used to just gravitate to me, and I'm, when I tell you that, it's for a reason, and I'll give come back to why I'm telling you that. But they would just gravitate to me. I'm talking even students that's not even in my class. They hang out with me at lunch. Like I'm like, who wants to hang out with a teacher? Go go out there, you know. So anyway, um, I talked and um, that was great. And then I ended up wanting to make a deeper impact. So I started working with incarcerated young people, young men and sometimes young ladies, but mostly young men. And I, when I started working with these young people, that kind of triggered some things about my childhood and things of that nature. Just starting to think about certain, certain, certain things that I'm like, you know, you, some things are so common. That you think they're normal until you get into a new normal and be like, wait a minute, right? So I say all that to say, uh, I grew up, so now, now I'll take us back, because I gave you a little bit about my profession, but I'll take us back. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, which you know, particularly in urban communities, was the crack epidemic, you know, crack cocaine, you know, it's during that time. And um just thinking about how a lot of the stuff that I thought was normal, because so many of us was experiencing it, I realized that it wasn't, right? And, um, around that time, just to, and we'll get, we could get deeper, but I, like I say, I wrote this book, Beyond the Crack Generation, just to talk about how, for those who have seen movies about crack epidemic, and you see all of this sensationalized violence and, and, you know, all this dramatization of things. And I wanted to write a, a book about how it affected us as, as, as young people, you know, just culturally, like how we, how we molded our lenses, not all of the shoot 'em up, bang, bang. I'm a tough guy, you know, all of that Hollywood stuff. And I was just thinking about like, for instance, um, a lot of us didn't grow up with fathers in our homes. A lot of us um, grew up very disrespectful towards one another, you know, and a lot of that came from what was going on in the culture at the time. Like, cause uh, we also coupled that time with, Um, the music and entertainment that was going on and the normalization of misogyny and all of this type of things that as an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, we don't have any, you know, we don't have any points of reference. So if this is what we're coming in and this is what we've been exposed to, we think this is normal. You know, all of of the dysfunctional cultural norms, you know, I was just reflecting on all of those things as as I started working with these young men and seeing like, okay, this is the next generation. They're doing the same thing we were doing, you know? So it triggered a lot of stuff for me. But, um, in a nutshell that that's that's what that's my my broad story. Just I grew up in these in these social contexts, and I, my work now is is just really working on helping people shift their lens. I don't try to fix anybody. I don't try to save anybody. I just want to help support people with, through their healing or support people through a perspective that's more productive for who they are and not so much counterproductive like many of us grew up with.
0: Where did you grow up? Was it inner city? I grew city? up in
1: Pasadena, California, and I also uh, moved and I, a, uh, I spent a lot of time in Indiana, in Muncie, Indiana. Okay. And the I- irony about that, which sounds like two opposite, you know, environments, again, during this time period, you found that pretty much the same social contexts, you know, that you found in in California and LA, you found the same in these little small towns in the Midwest. It just was more concentrated. It may look a little different, right? But drugs are still drugs. Violence is still violence. Gangs are still gangs. Jail is still jail. You know, it was it was the same, you know. And mm-hmm. that was that was something that was very um eye opening for me as I got to reflect later in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that the bigger cities set the standard sometimes for, you know, because in, in California, you have in ho- the Hollywood, and you see what everything is going on there, what's going on in the movies, what's going on with the culture there. Do you think it sets the tone for the smaller cities?
1: I think it has in the past, because access to, to certain things was so limited, so you only see California on TV. Or you only see New York on TV and things of that nature. So it's like, wow, they're doing something way different. We want to do what they do. You know, we only hear, they're only making movies about the big cities at one time. But mm-hmm. now with social media we have access to so much and we're able to get a glimpses of all these other different areas I think is 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 the influence has diminished a little bit but at one time, most definitely. And that was one of the challenges that, like, that's why I share, like, with the movies. So In a movie, if I'm watching, you know, again, I'm coming from the urban communities and things of that nature. If I'm watching this urban movie that's talking about the streets and all of that, it's a script. Yeah, it's based on some real stuff, but it's a script. It's dramatized. It's sensationalized. But then if I'm in a small city, I don't see it as a script. So now I'm trying to live out this exaggerated form of you know, street life or whatever. And that's what I found going on. So a lot of times in these smaller cities, it actually was a little more rougher because they're trying to live up to the exaggerated images that they're seeing on the big screens or hearing in the music.
0: Mm. Do you think that this is getting worse, better, or kind of staying the same as we see this happening in our youth today?
1: Um... I don't necessarily know if it's getting better or worse because that's it's, that's so general. But I, but I will say that um, it's been normalized, you know, and, and a lot of things. That's why the book I talk about surviving the trauma organized culture. So we're talking about these. How can I say it? we're talking about these social contexts. So, like, again, in these urban communities, drugs, gangs, violence, jail, all of this type of stuff is happening right but then it's sensationalized like we just shared so now you have excuse me a small population of people so let's say let's let's use let's use gangs for instance contrary to popular belief in urban communities everybody is not involved in gangs it's usually a a small population who's involved in gangs but they have influences over so many people and then the gangs, there's even a smaller percentage of people who are actually, like, violent. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Same thing with drugs and things of that nature, drug use, and, right? So it's usually a small population that, that influences the masses. So I say all that to say these small populations have influenced the masses so much that now, with like when, when I was coming up and now the youth now, they have taken on some of these social norms that fit in a lifestyle as their own. What do I mean by that? There are certain things like, if, so I'm dealing like if I may be a person who's dealing with a lot of trauma, I've, I've dealt with a lot of stuff, I've, I've you know, and I'm trying to process things. So I may, you know, self-medicate as a coping mechanism. And then I talk about it in my music and I'm talking about how every day I stay high and things like that. That is a coping mechanism for me personally, using this as an example, right? But the person who hears the song or hears me talk about it, it's like, oh, that's the lifestyle that I want. But they're not dealing with the same thing that I'm dealing with. They, they, So now they're making this coping mechanism that I may have their culture. You see what I'm saying? And that's what's been going on a lot of times all across this nation with these young people. It's like this small group of people were, were you know, maladaptive coping mechanisms for their own, you know, um, the paranoia that I may have because I've been through trauma. So because I'm paranoid, I'm quicker to to inflict violence on somebody else because I'm like, hey, what's what you you know, what, what what's your intentions? I'm talking about that. Now, here goes this young man, or this young lady who may not even be dealing with that, getting their social cues like, oh, this is how you're supposed to deal with it, with with uh, conflict or this is how you see what I'm saying? So I think I don't know if it's getting better or worse but I think some of these trauma responses have become so normalized in the cultures across the nation in our youth that it's hard to tell what's trauma and what's not, you know.
0: That brings up a really good point that I've not really considered like that before. I I have I have kids. My kids are uh my son is 12. So he's just getting into this age of like, the hip hop, the music, the, you know, and I'm like, don't listen to that music. (laughs) Because I grew up listening to that music. I think you and I probably grew up in the same generation. I, um, I was, I mean, I grew up listening to a lot of that music. And in my mind, you think it wasn't that bad. Like the music now has gotten way worse. Like it's, it wasn't that bad. But then you go back and you listen to some old, like Tupac or Biggie and you're like, Oh my God, this stuff is, it was pretty bad back then. We just don't remember it being that bad. But it's crazy because the more that I learn about self growth, just as an individual, the more that I'm like, what you're putting into your mind is what's going to manifest out of it. So if I'm filling my mind with these kinds of toxic beliefs and like you said coping mechanisms which I had never thought of it that way but it's so true because it's heartbreaking just from doing this podcast from interviewing different people hearing some of the you look at someone on the outside you never know what they've been through and then they right. open up and they start sharing some of the abuse some of the um you know the loss that they've experienced or the things they've been exposed to, the things they've seen. And it's like, these are coping mechanisms. So this leads me to my next question, which is, you're doing something about it. What, do, what can people do about this? Like as a mother grow, uh, raising kids or just as a general society that looks and sees issues of our youth like how can we contribute and and be a part of doing our part
1: yeah that and that's and that's another um question that's that can be broad, so let me like zero it in so if I'm thinking about like parenting, let's start with the parenting, then we'll talk about um community, what can we do so like for instance, with parenting, and I'm the same way with like with my son like he you know he listens to you know some stuff right, and I'm like, oh whoa, what is this you know. <laughs> But you know, at the end of the day, this is what I've how I've approached it based on just what I've learned and my experiences is I can't I can't tell my son or I can't make my son only listen to certain things, right? I can try, but of course they please. You know, we know how that goes. You know, they got airpods, you know. I can't really control that. So I can't I can't tell him what to look at, but I can influence how he looks at it. So when the stuff he listens to. I want to hear it and yeah it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes because now we both sitting here even though i've heard this stuff since a kid it's a lot different when you're sitting with your child hearing this stuff right next to you like this is some heavy stuff but i want to hear it and i want to hear it with him and i want to guide him and walk him through what he's hearing you see what i'm saying i'm gonna i'm gonna pick it apart i'm gonna analyze it so when he's listening to it the next time he's gonna be like well i never thought of it like that i never you know what i'm saying i'm gonna pick that whole thing apart so i can't I can't necessarily tell him what to look at, but I could help guide how he looks at. So with parents, I would definitely say it's going to be uncomfortable, but get in there. Get in there. Because if not, you know, we can do that all day. And that's been generations where don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah, okay. As soon as I, you know, as soon as I step outside, I'm, I'm somebody else. Right. And to help prevent that, get in there, you know, because like you just said, many of us did grow up on a lot of this stuff. We have been exposed to a lot of it. So we understand it. It's just as parents, you know, as you say, we evolve, we get mature and things of that nature. And then we forget. It's like, nah, get in there. You know, so that's one thing. When it comes to, and we could talk more about that if you want to, but when it comes more to the community, there's so many fronts to fight. I say identify where you want to contribute. You know, once you identify where you want to contribute, you know, start preparing yourself. It's like somebody, if, if I want to help a, a, who is it, Lasana, Lasana, this guy named Lasana helped help me with this perspective. He said, if you want to be a lifeguard, you, know, you want to save drowning people, the first thing you need to do is learn how to swim. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times, using that as a, uh, um, a metaphor or analogy, a lot of times we say, I want to be a lifeguard. I want to help the community. I want to help people that's drowning. And we just go out there and start trying to help people, but we haven't learned how to properly swim. So now we're drowning, too. Now we're in the way. Now we're pulling people down. You know, we're not we're doing more harm than help. We're just in the way. So I would say prepare ourselves, prepare ourselves. I know we're in crisis mode. It's like we don't have time to prepare. It's crisis. You do. You know, you do. Because if you want to really make some some impact, prepare yourself. And again, find what what your lane is. So like mine, that's what I was sharing earlier. Mine is very organic. I found my lane. People say like I work with youth. You know, I work with uh, incarcerated youth. I work with the reentry population, meaning adults who, who went to prison and are coming home from prison and are trying to transition into um, the professional world and things of that nature. I work with them. Like all of that's my lane. It's like a divine assignment that I have. So people will come to me and say, you know, K-Ron, we have this, um, this movement or, or this initiative going for homeless youth. And, and my heart goes out. To, to you know, cause that's that's a very important movement. But I can only support from the background because that's not my lane. You see what I'm saying? So I could support here and there because I do work with youth. What about drug abuse? Yeah, I could that, that's huge. That's not my lane. So I could support from the background. What about domestic violence? No, that's huge. You see what I'm saying? We could go through all of these things. Because if I try to swerve in and out of lanes, just think about on a freeway. I'm swerving in and out of lanes. I'm calling a traffic drop I'm, I'm gonna cause a wreck. I'm in mm-hmm. the way. So mm-hmm. so even though I know all of these things are are um very, very, very important, you know, I I find I have to find where I'm most effective. And sometimes you do have to jump from lane to lane until you find your sweet spot, until you find, oh, this is where I am. Okay, this this feels right. But once you find it, just go hard, you know, go hard, you know. So that, that's what I would say. I would start with finding where are you most effective in, in your contribution, you know. And I'll share this with you, too, when it comes to community. Everybody's not a direct service person. Like for me, I'm direct service. I'm in the community. I'm working with the people directly. There's other people who may not necessarily be that. They may be the advocate for the direct service person. You know, I'm not the person that goes to work directly, but I know somebody who does, and I'm going to tell everybody about him. That That is a part of the movement. There's somebody else who's not going to do either one of those. They're going to do research. They're going to have all the backings to show why this is the proper approach and things of that nature. They're going to be the research person. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to be the policymaker. Let's make sure this stuff gets it. You see what I'm saying? And somebody else is going to be the funder. That like So even when we're talking about which cause we want to focus on, then we can also talk about what position do we want to focus on. Cause all of them are all of them are valuable. I'm a direct service person and that's great, but I need the advocate. I need some because I'm not a big promoter of my you see how I was with my bio. I'm not the person to be like, look at me, look at what I do. Somebody else does that for me because that that's where they are. You see you see what I mean? So mm-hmm. really just honing in to what your lane is and then going hard once you get in there.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. Because I think that it's very easy, our human nature, especially if you care about things and issues and topics and things that's happening in our communities all over, is that it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the things that's going on. Like, well, I'm only one person. And I've I've had to remind myself of this too. Like, I'm only one person. How can I take on the weight of the world? And it's like, I've had this thought, but you put it in perfect terminology, like perfectly understandable terminology that is is so true. And it goes back to my beliefs on how we are all interconnected and we thrive on each other's energies and things. It's because we, all, as a human nature, we need each other. And we need each other to be those places that we can't. Because if we have a destiny, if we have a calling in this world, it's finding that, finding that purpose and living through it. So I think that that's great confirmation, what you just said. And I hope that that puts a lot of like ease on people that feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, yeah. So t- talk to me a little bit about, this is interesting work that you've done as far as working with the youth and working with people that are that have coming coming out of incarceration. Can you think of, a story that's like a, and you don't have to share names or anything like that, but just, just some of the things that you've seen working in this line of industry, some of the issues that you've seen that you've been able to help overcome?
1: Um, yes, yes, I, I have. Um, a lot of it, again, a lot of the challenges are perspective and self-image. So all the other stuff are symptoms. So I do a lot of work with working with people with their own self-image because I learned this from a guy named Bob Proctor. I don't know if you ever heard of Bob mm-hmm. Proctor, rest in peace. Yeah, he says, no one operates beyond the boundaries of their own self-image. So when I work with people, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly working on that piece. I'm constantly working on how do you see yourself? Because that's where a lot of self-sabotage comes from. You know, um, again, to, since we're on the platform of trauma, there's also something called toxic shame. And you find that a lot of people are dealing with toxic shame where that's where I have a certain shame about who I am. Because most shame, like ordinary shame is I do something that I'm not too proud of and I'm shameful about it. I feel regret. You know, I shouldn't have done that. But that shame is is tied to a behavior. It's tied to an action. Toxic shame is tied to who I think I am. Right. So that's the person who when you try to help them with a new skill. And they can't quite get it yet. And they say this is stupid. You know, I hate this. This is because it's they see the the challenge in in that in that activity. They see the challenge in learning that skill as something wrong with them, as a deficiency within mm-hmm. them. Like this, this, this right. So, with all that being said, when I'm working with the youth or with you know formerly incarcerated, I do a lot of work with that with, with building up that self image. And when I when I when I do that. People tend to to really flourish and tend to really, and it's not overnight. You know, it's not it's not an overnight thing. If I'm if I've been dealing with this lifestyle or this negative beliefs for seventeen years, you know, if I'm a if I'm a teenager or thirty years or forty years, if I'm an adult, me working with them for a few hours is not necessarily going to just voila magically, you know, change the switch. But work, but but working on that, being specific about building up that self image, being being specific about, um, or, or intentional, I should say, being intentional about the self image or building healthy relationships, safe relationships, those tend to be where where I find the most uh, victories at in 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 regards to doing this work.
0: You said you work more with men or boys than you do with women. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You-
0: what part do you think ego plays in there? Do you think that the culture and society pushes this egotistical kind of persona on people, especially our boys and our, our young men?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, that then that brings me back to, remember I was telling you about how all these young people, well, students used to gravitate to me and I said I was telling you that for a reason. Okay, so, so. When you're talking about like the ego and stuff, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 but that's usually just a defense. That's usually to hide something else. And the ways in people used to gravitate to me, these young people or whatever, is because I, I was able to get past all of that, you know. I was able to, to uh, see, I, I could see you, you know what I'm saying, Not, non-judgmentally. I could just see you as a person and people could feel that, you know. So I was able to maneuver around a lot of these egos. Like, you don't have to have an ego with me. Like, you know, because, you know, I'm not here for that. So with all that being said, absolutely. this this bravado. There's this, I I got this. I don't need nothing. I got it all together. Again, me saying, man, that's stupid. That's that ego. That's like, I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to see that I'm struggling. So I'm going to blame it on this. So yeah, it's a lot of that. But just really understanding that. We all got our struggles. We all got our deficiencies. We all got our past. We all got, you know, all of that. And being able to express that um, authentically and sincerely usually get past that. Because even when the ego comes, I'm not even offended by that, you know, and I'm also able to set my boundaries because I have an ego. I'm sure, you know, Um, and I'm able to set my boundaries like, okay, let's just respect one another. The ego is fine. Let's just be respectful. As long as we're respectful, I could deal with all of that, you know. And vice versa. Hopefully, you can do the same. It's, it's usually my re- relationship with people. So mm-hmm. yes, I did, it and we're able to get past it. It's not. It's not a big deal.
0: So, what part do you think boundaries? You you brought up boundaries. So, what part do you think boundaries play in that? Because, especially for for you yourself, working with youth, you have to set up pretty. I would say pretty strong boundaries.
1: Yeah. So that's a two-part answer with that one. First, I have to set boundaries of in the relationship. But then I have to set boundaries within myself. So let me start with the relationship. Again, we do have triggers. We do have these different things. So I have to be very clear and very uh, intentional about making sure that my boundaries are set. So, for instance, like when I'm working with certain people, well, really whatever, like I'm a very private person. Not intentionally, it's just the way I was raised, so it comes out that way, right? So, I set certain boundaries where I know there's certain conversations we're not even about to have, you know? I don't, don't, you know what I mean? I don't really overshare. I'm not that type of person who overshares or none of that type of stuff. It's like, you almost got to pry stuff out of me. It's not that I'm trying to be that way. That's just how I am, right? And I set those boundaries real quick because... That that's what keeps me feeling safe, so to speak. If I start to feel like I'm oversharing or I'm getting too vulnerable, oh my gosh, right? It, 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 I don't feel as safe in certain areas, depending on vulnerability. Now, other areas I could get very vulnerable, right? So I set those boundaries. And then, like I say, respect. I, and then that's that's the loaded word though, because what's respectful to one is not respectful to another, right? So I, I'm very clear about respect. You know, so no, you respect me, I'm going to respect you. When I work with these young people, I'm going to set the example. I'm going to respect you first. You know, I'm saying please. I'm saying thank you. I'm I'm, just certain my tone is real respectful. I'm doing all of these things up front because I have the same expectation of you, and I'm going to model that. So once I have already modeled that, it's very easy for me, if anything feels disrespectful, it's easy for me to call it out because I'm able to say, listen. I've been nothing but respectful towards you and I expect the same. That's just, that's just a healthy relationship. You see what I'm saying? I've never disrespected you. Why would I, why would I accept that from you? I, you know. So those are the type of things that I do in regards to relationships. Mm-hmm. Then I told you about having boundaries within myself because this work can get very um, weighty. There is something called vicarious trauma where we could pick up other people's traumas and all this type of stuff. I have to know how to turn that off. You know, so like, for instance, when I'm when I was working with the, uh I still work with them. So I said was but I I used to work with them a lot more than what I do now, the, the incarcerated youth. But when I was like heavy, full time working with them, there was a lot of stuff. But when I got home, I had to make sure I turned that off. So I'm not sitting there thinking about it. I'm making sure I'm I'm distracting myself. I had rituals like I come home, I leave my clothes here. I go take my shower, I, I clear my mind, I'm putting up you know what I mean i'm I'm setting these boundaries so I have to have a safe space, right? I'm not sitting here at home talking about everything that happened because if not, it would just keep happening. Also, when I'm working with um these heavy situations like this, um I also am very, very intentional about the intake of entertainment and things. So if, when I'm working with, like, again, I, I don't have the same workload as I had before. That's why if you hear me say in the past tense, I'm in a different place now. So I, it's not as strenuous as it once was in my, in my profession. But when I was right there in the trenches, nope, I'm not watching the news. You know, I don't need that. No, I don't want to see a movie based on somebody's pain. And I, nope, I'm watching... Maleficent you know what I mean, I'm watching Alice in Wonderland. I need something that's going to take my mind totally somewhere else. you know what I mean I'm not um on the phone talking for hours and hours about somebody's problems and you know because I had to create certain boundaries within myself you know it's these type of practices that I'm very intentional about
0: mm-hmm. and that's all very good by the way, like this is very intriguing to me to hear this because I work with people that have trauma and i've starting this podcast it's not quite a year old yet but um i have i have struggled there's been times where i struggle with that of carrying other people's traumas like obviously you work with with other people that work with youth so like teachers and things like that i had a podcast recording with another guest recently and he was talking about the effects that like his coaches and his teachers, like he was struggling and he was a good athlete. And as long as he was doing good, they, they were fine. But when he was struggling and getting in trouble and doing the different things, it was like, no one wanted to touch it. And I do think that this is a problem in our world, not just with youth, but just with human nature in general. We want to be close to those that are doing well, but it's like, at what point do you reach in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm here to help. How do you work with other teachers or people that are, that are working with youth so that they are not doing that? Like either they're not doing it. I don't think that, I don't, I like to think that they wouldn't do it on a conscious level. It's more of a subconscious level, but I don't know. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, that's that conditional love, so to speak, right? Long as you, long as you're on your quote-unquote best behavior, and then we're it's all good. But As soon as you mess up, get away from me, right? Um, when I do trainings and I'm working with teachers or counselors, you know, I'm very big on what's called trauma-informed approaches, trauma-informed care, things of that nature. And it all starts with considering, not assuming, but considering that the problematic behavior that a child or adult, as well. May be expressing, you know, is rooted in in some kind of trauma. Again, it's not—it's not assuming. There's difference. I can't be like, "Oh, you got an attitude," or "That must be your trauma," or you know, we don't do that. But we consider it. So, so with that being said, um, I help people talk. I mean, I help people understand the principles of trauma-informed approaches, which is safety, collaboration, uh, transparency, choice um gen with gender and and cultural uh sensitivity like all of these things so with that being said um instead of saying what's wrong with you we ask what happened to you even if it's subconsciously right this young man is not misbehaving just because he's quote unquote bad there's probably something that 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 that, that's creating this Mm -hmm. right and what i need to do if i if i am the caregiver is I need to be able to create a safe environment because that's, that's first and foremost with anybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have to feel safe. I have to create safety. That means physical and emotional safety because another thing is when I, when I work with the young people, the youth so to speak, um, we found that when the youth don't feel safe, that's when they have the most problematic behaviors. When they feel safe, when they feel structured, you usually don't get that same behavior from them. You may get it in the beginning because they're resisting that structure. But then once they feel the consistency and they feel the fairness, they tend to comply and they feel safe and they want to do they want to do whatever they can to nurture this environment. They want to keep this safety. Right. So it starts with, with the safety piece, but I have to be able to see them from the proper lens because energetically we can feel each other. Like if I'm if I'm coming with this attitude and I'm like this beauty. You're bad. You're this. They're going to feel that and they're going to respond to that. If I'm coming with, hmm, okay, there must be a challenge. Let me deal with that. Let me deal with what's, what's, what can be possibly stirring this up or triggering this. They'll feel that too. So um, it all starts with trauma-informed approaches. So like I also said, going back to why these youth was gravitating to me, I, was, I had a very trauma-informed approach to these young people before I ever had the language or the framework to call it trauma-informed. You know what I mean? I wasn't in there with a checklist like, let me create safety. It was just intuitively that's what I was doing. And I guarantee you, anybody who's doing great with youth, p- particularly challenging youth, all youth are challenging, to be real with you. But some have a little more challenges than others. If they're if they're really engaging these youth and they really have a, a healthy relationship with them, guarantee you, you line up their approach with the trauma-informed framework and they're doing it. Whether they have the language or they're Conscious of it or not, guaranteed, they're creating a safe environment, they're creating collaboration, they're being transparent, they're offering choices, you know what I'm saying? They're all oh, an empowerment. They're empowering them and they're culturally sensitive. And that's that's a big one. When, when when we approach it that way, we things tend to change.
0: How do you deal with um the victim mentality? What you mean? I feel like more so even now, and maybe this is just because I'm more aware of it now, but a lot of times we feel like in our world today, we live in a place where people, it's, it's always someone else's fault. Like this happened and some things gotcha. truly are, you know, like if, if you were a child and you've dealt with childhood abuse, that that's not your fault. There are things that are not your fault but even in the most difficult circumstances we have to move past that victim mentality and how would you how do you work especially with youth because it's very easy that their their minds are not i i you're more of an expert on youth than i am but i would think like their mind is not fully developed so it's even harder to be a little bit more love with like love them through being hard um but you do have to still combat that because they can't blame everything on someone else they can't grow up having that mindset because it's going to hinder them later in life
1: absolutely so that's where that that um that principle of empowerment comes in and to your point um i I validate them in the sense of yeah it's not your fault you know, or you've been through a lot. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. See what I'm saying? It's not your fault. I get it. It's not my fault of what I may have gone through. It's not her fault. It's not his fault. But it's their responsibility. It's my responsibility to, to move forward. It's my responsibility to, to process this and keep going. It's not even fair. I'm, I'm not even going to say it's fair, <laughs> you know. But at that, none of that changes the fact that this is what we're dealing with and how we're going to get through it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and stay there. Like, I'm not going to get stuck on the problem. You know, like I said, that's my work. My work is I'm very solution oriented. So when everybody else is sitting there complaining about the school system, the teachers this or they don't have this type of curriculum or that. I'm like, well, let me be a teacher. OK, well, let me train the teachers. Oh, well, let me create a curriculum, you know. So it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. And that's how I work with the young people. That's how I work with adults. Same thing. Because the adults have the same challenges, right? And that's back to that self-image that we was talking about. Because if I do have that mentality and it's everybody else's fault, guess what? I'm giving everybody else my power and my self-image is telling me I'm powerless. I can't do anything about it because if they had to did this, if my mom had to did this, if you had to help me, if you had, like everybody else has the power but me. So I need to help myself regain that power. You know, if I'm working with somebody, I need to help somebody else understand you have that power. So, no, it's not your fault. I'm going to definitely keep validating you. It is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So let's work through that. And that's our approach. It.
0: I think he just dropped gold right there.
1: Right <laughs> right on.
0: Because <right> <laughs> that's, that's really good. Um, and it's true. It is very true. And I, um like, I struggled with this a lot in my own life, like through my journey from youth to young adult to older adult, um, you know, you struggle through that and you learn, you have to learn how to not carry that because that it'll destroy your life. You are what you focus on or you manifest what you focus on, like that comes out. So it's like, I want to focus on the positive and not on the negative, but, um, it's challenging. I will say like, as a mom with kids, you know, and raising kids. I say raising kids is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because <laughs> yeah. it's hard. But because um, you're constantly second guessing, like, am I doing this right? Am I telling them the right thing? And then I catch myself sometimes when we're having conversations, like, is is what I, am I just talking? Or is this like resonating with them? And do I really even know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like,
1: All right, All right.
0: You know, so I, I commend you a lot for what you do because I don't work with youth, but I work with my two youth, (laughs) I have a nine and a 12 and that's hard enough for me. I don't know that I could surpass (laughs) that, but, um, but there's so many, this is the thing too, like we have to recognize, I believe that youth are, they are people and, It's easy as an adult, I feel like sometimes to dismiss the fact that, oh, they're just kids, but some kids have undergone some trauma that is sometimes worse than some, what some adults have gone through. And I think when we can start as a population, start exactly what you described, like start looking at people through the lens of like, this is a real person, (laughs) they're a real person, they've been through things that might be heartbreaking and they're probably not going to just divulge that. Like you said, you're a private person. A lot of kids I think are very private. Like you have to really get to know them before they're going to share things with you. My son is very private and I'm his mom. He doesn't even share things with me. (laughs) So Um, it's like, you know, getting through that barrier is hard sometimes to, to get through there do you, I know we talked about parenting, but do you have advice about kind of how to get through that barrier beyond what you've said? You've already dropped a bunch of knowledge, but.
1: How to get through the barrier of what, like being private and things of that nature?
0: Just getting them to open up. Just, just kind of getting them to open up. Or do you just have patience? Sometimes I think it's just patience. Like, okay, let me just be patient. It's
1: it's, it's definitely patience. And whether, like, for instance, like, I'll start with the like working with the youth and I'll bring it more at home to to because home is different than the, than the community It's because it's a different emotional investment. But like, let's say I'm working with the youth or I'm working with an adult or something like that. Remember, I said being trauma informed is considering trauma or things of that nature. Right. I don't have to necessarily I don't necessarily need you to give me the specifics of what you've gone through. I just need to be very understanding and patient, and you know, empathetic in my approach and non-judgmental, because sometimes I might not even be ready for once you what you share with me. I may keep trying to build this relationship and get you to open up. And then you, like you said, some people have gone through way more than what we assume. The next thing you know, yeah, you open up, and now I'm like, whoa, what do I do with this? Right. So I'm not, I'm not trying to necessarily get people to, to open up and tell me what they've gone through because i'm not a therapist you know so i just i now if they do you know and it happens i'm you know you just be just being real with my i've I've always been good with it just in general like i've been able to that's just something that i'm gifted with i've been able to navigate when things are shared with me but everybody is not so i don't so i don't encourage people to try to get people to open up because sometimes you open up a can of worms sometimes you open up a can of worms that the person hasn't even dealt with and now it's open and it's like, oh, oh, I got to go. I'm going home. And they're like, wait a minute. I didn't open myself up. Now they're dealing with this. So I don't always need somebody to open up specifically, you know, with that. Now, with, with home, it's a little different because I want to know everything, right? Like, you're my kid. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you to tell me everything, right? But even with that, um, it's a patient thing, just me being, me being patient, me creating that environment where they feel safe. You know, cause if I, you know, human, you know, whether it's my child, whoever it is, we're all human. And if I'm like, tell me what's going on with you. You can trust me. Tell me what's like, if I'm like this Amber, tell me what's going on. Trust me. You can trust me. Come on, just tell me. The more I say that, the less trust you gonna have for me. You're gonna be like, I need you to kind of bring, bring it down and not, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You're right. And we tend to do that with our with our children. It's the same. They like, "Mom, the more you say, so it's more just again just building those relationships." Like mm-hmm. I say, using the music example. When that when that when I'm listening to that explicit music, guess what? They're uncomfortable like I'm uncomfortable, and they're paying attention to my body language. So when this rapper says this sexually explicit lyric, they're looking at my body language, am I squirming or anything like that? When they you know they're looking, they're paying attention to all of that. And subconsciously, they're judging, can I tell my mom this? Can I tell my dad this? If they're squirming from hearing the the F word, I definitely can't tell them what, I, what I'm struggling with. You see what I'm saying? So we're mm-hmm. just building those relationships and being very intentional about mm-hmm. creating that safe place. Mm-hmm. So one day they will come to us. You know, I, Again, I may not be ready for everything that they got mm-hmm. to tell me right now. Because... I'm going in straight daddy mode. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna be as trauma-informed once you tell me, I'm like, hold on, stop. I'm gonna be like, we're not doing this, you know. I'm not as understanding. So I, I say all I have to say, just being patient and understanding that we're in it for the long haul. My my 12-year-old, I'm you know, using this as an example, may not be as open with me as he is when he's 15. You see what I'm saying? A mm-hmm. 15-year-old. May not be as open as when he's 18. When he's 18, all of a sudden he says, Mom, you've been real cool. Now we've got the best relationship ever. Or, Dad, you've been. So we're in it for the long haul. We're in it for building that relationship. You know, and again, like I said, we can't always tell them what to do, but we can tell them how to see it. You know what I mean? We can't tell them what to look at, but we can tell them how to see it or how to hear it. And that's what I would say, just building that mm-hmm. relationship.
0: When we cross paths with someone, dealing with trauma in general, I'm just curious your thoughts about this, but what, what role does being transparent and authentic, that's two different things, but what role does that have in sharing things about yourself?
1: That's huge. That's a huge one. Because another, another piece to trauma-informed approaches is, is peer support, like getting support from your peers. And sometimes when you are transparent, or where I I'll use first person, when I'm transparent, I subconsciously move into the peer role because it's like, oh, he understands me. Yeah, he's older than me, but he understands me. Or he's from a whole different world than me. He's from a whole different demographic than me, but he understands me. So what I would say is being transparent, like I say, I may be private, but I am very transparent at the same time. It's a very interesting thing that how I am because I I definitely will share, but I'm just very intentional about what I share. I'm not sharing anything that I'm uncomfortable with later. I'm not sharing mm-hmm. anything that's gonna make me all awkward around you, like, dang, I shouldn't have told her that. You know what I mean? So I'm just um, transparent, but transparent goes hand in hand with authenticity. Mm-hmm. When somebody's able to see your transparency, they feel you're more authentic because yeah. you are. You are more authentic, right? So I would say just being intent, be, be transparent because we all need that because we all are sitting here with the de- defenses, all trying to be on our best behavior and present ourselves. Like we're perfect, especially when it comes to social media now. All social media is all these posts. We're looking at everybody's highlight reels. We're not seeing anybody in the pra- when they, in practice. We didn't see him fumble. We only saw we only saw his all star catch. You know, using that as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. But when you're able to be a little more transparent, you're able to build an authentic relationship. And mm-hmm. I just say just just do that, but just be very intentional about what you're comfortable sharing. You know mm-hmm. that type of thing. And, that, and that's, how, that's how I do with, deal with
0: that. I was curious because, from my perspective, especially coming from you saying that you were a private person, I was curious what your thoughts were on that. Because where where what I do, sitting where I sit here, I'm very transparent, but I always tell people when they come, and I have people ask when they come on as guests, they'll ask me, "What do I, what what do I share?" I don't really know how much I should share, how little I should share. I want people to share because I want them to build connection with other people that may be struggling through that. I'm to be intentional here on this podcast to get people that are kind of over their trauma, so that we're not digging back in, like you said earlier, opening it up a can of worms. That you're like, I don't now. I've just opened this up, but I do think it's very important, and I and I share that with people. But I do also tell people you got to be careful. Like, you have to feel like you're doing sharing appropriately. Like, you definitely don't want to share something. And I also tell people this, like, do not share things that is putting someone in a bad place that's not here to defend themselves. So, uh, yeah, I want to ask you, lastly, like, well, I want you to tell people where they can find you, but also I want you to kind of if you have any closing thoughts or remarks or anything specific you'd like to leave our audience with. Mm, that's
1: good. Um, Well, my closing remarks and I can share how you can find me. Well, I'll share how you can find me. You know, um, if you go to inner sun com, inner sun, meaning I N N E R S U N consulting. If you want to find me more on a professional level there. Um, Also, LinkedIn K Valentine, or at Live Above It on Instagram. Okay, now the closing remarks I will share is for anybody: give yourself permission to be great. You know, define what greatness is to you, not what somebody else thinks it is, and then give yourself permission. I had to give myself permission to be great because back to those self-limiting beliefs, you know, all these different things, the toxic shame, all of that stuff that we talked about today. is real, you know. I will also share this. This is something that i dealt with recently, like within the last year. Really assess, and this, I mean, it's going to sound a little weird, but it is what it is. Really assess whose voices in your head you give authority to. See what I'm saying? There could be something that, and again, I say this respectfully, I don't know anybody's story. I don't want to trigger anybody. There could be something that was said, let's, let's use this, on, on, the, on the playground. When you was eight years old that you're still dealing with, somebody could have said something and that's changed the way, way you look at yourself. As an adult, think about it. Am I still going to give that eight-year-old kid on the playground authority over my 30-year-old self or my 40-year-old self? Am I still going to be dictated by what that eight-year-old had to say about me or what that 15-year-old had to say about me or what my mom had to say about me as a kid? You know what I'm saying? Like I had to analyze whose voices of authority are in my head and do they still deserve that authority? So I'm analyzing that. And then give your give myself permission to be, be great. Give yourself permission to be great, to find what greatness is to you. To some people it's whoever got the biggest bag of money. That doesn't necessarily mean great. This all depends on what you value, you know, we'll live up to your fullest potential, but give yourself permission to do it. And that That's what I was share.
0: That is so good. Like that is, that's really good. And I can tell you truly have a gift to shift perspectives and just from talking to you this hour, I can tell that. So I think, I think you've definitely found your thing, um, what your purpose and your calling, what you're here to do. And, uh, I'm just amazing to watch. I'm sure you'll continue to just build this thing even bigger and, um, help even more youth. So, how can we support you here? Is there a way that you have in mind as far as support goes?
1: Again, the main thing would be advocacy, you know, to so talk about me, you know, that I know this guy, you know, that type of thing. He'll be great to hear or, or check out his book or, you know, advocacy, because again, like you shared earlier, we are an interdependent. We all depend on one another. And just like I may be great in one lane. I'm not so great in the other. So I'm not the best, I'm not the best self advocate. You know, I'm like, to an extent, I'm one of the world's best kept secrets, you know, because <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I do my thing, but I'm not looking at me. I'm not promoting. So advocacy, you know, any way you can help advocate for me or, or the work that, that I do or that we do that that would be, that would be golden.
0: And who is your book? Like, who is your target audience for your book?
1: My target audience is anybody who is trying to understand more about the culture of our youth or the culture of the urban community and the perspectives and how they came about. Mm -hmm. Again, considering trauma as the root cause of some of these, you know, counterproductive behaviors, because when you have a certain context of how things work or how why people move the way they move or why they see the the things the way they see it, then I'm able to have empathy. But most of the time, I will judge a person's behavior based on how I see things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They should, they they should know better, or they should move move like this, or they should. No, 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 not necessarily. If I really understood the context of where they're coming from, I would have a different perspective. So, it's for professionals who are working with the youth, who are working with urban populations. It's for students or parents. Anybody, especially if you're dealing with parents, parenting, like you said who are, have kids who are indirectly moving in this hip hop culture and all of this type of stuff. And it's like, who, who are you? It's good to have an understanding of the context of where a lot of this stuff came from. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. That's awesome.
0: And I will say yeah. too, for our audience, that, that all of these resources on how to find him and as well as his book, links to the book and everything, we'll put all that in the show notes as well so that we can try to connect I truly believe that in the power of that, like being able to connect people with the right people. Um, so hopefully that'll that'll bring some people your way that truly need to hear what you're doing and and need the help that you're providing. So um with that being said, I thank you so much for spending time with us here today and just sharing these things with us because it is so important. Youth is 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 our future. And it is really important. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for creating this platform. So all good.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Through the Trauma podcast. If you have found value in this episode or believe in the mission behind what we are doing, please subscribe so that you never miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our Transformation Project at TransformationThroughTraumaProject.com where we help inspirational stories get heard on a larger scale through multiple platforms. If you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time.